Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. This is where we explore third-way leadership in a polarized world, and we ask what it means to keep Jesus at the center through it all. We hope you'll find the conversation meaningful and that it equips you in your context with fresh approaches to facing some of the most challenging leadership and ministry questions of our day. And hey, if you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome! We are a relational network of churches and ministry leaders with a vision to unite equip and amplify a movement that is all about Jesus. You can look us up on social media or head to our website at JesusCollective.com to learn more, find out what it means to get involved, all that good stuff. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get on with the podcast. Okay, so for today's topic, we are really excited about this. Everything we do is meant to help us navigate Jesus's third way. And ultimately, Jesus's message is one of peace. So today's topic is super exciting because we're going to explore the explosive nature of his message. Ultimately, Jesus's message brings peace to our lives, peace to the world that his message has influenced. But I wonder if we've tamed his message down so much that we forget that his third way approach got him killed. And so that just brings complexity and nuance to today's dialogue as we dive into what what would his message do if Jesus lived and led at our time in history? Uh, without further ado, let's do this. All right. I will introduce our guests. So uh, we are here today with Paul Eddy and Paul's on staff at Woodland Hills Church, which is just a, a great church that's really um, great friends uh, with Jesus Collective. And um, Paul's one of the I think it's called the teaching pastor at Woodland Hills. And then also a professor of biblical and theological studies at Bethel university as well, I think in Minneapolis. Uh, and so Paul, I just want to say you, you've been a gifted teacher, a great thought contributor to Jesus collective. We're very thankful for your commitment to understanding theology and practice with Jesus at the center and then we're here with our friend Reese uh, Sky, and Reese is co-pastor at On Ramps Church, Covenant Church in Fresno, California. And uh, On Ramps is located in in the Lowell neighborhood of Fresno, which is known as the Devil's Triangle uh, because of its concentrated poverty. And uh, the mission of their church of On Ramps is to be a healing community, healing its community. And I love that. And so we are just so thankful to have both of you here contributing to this fun conversation about what would get Jesus killed today. So let's dive in. So, Paul, right off the bat, I, I, you were the one that raised this question first for me. And so I'm just curious, what raised this question for you? Like, what bubbled this up? Yeah. Hey, and thanks for the opportunity to be here and, and really uh, for the opportunity to share this with Reese, It's been great getting to know her in the last few weeks. Yeah, so um, this question came to my mind first, uh, it was about two or three years ago, when I was preparing a class yeah. for our uh, School of uh, Missional Apprenticeship that we run out of Woodland Hills. And um, the, the, uh, the, I, was, I was doing a, a presentation on the Radical Reformation and how that stream of tradition um, uh, really prepares us to be missional people in, in our contemporary culture. And so I was, you know, my, my thought was, hey, I'm going to propose some ideas where uh, the Radical Reformation and the values that come out of that, namely Jesus-centeredness and agape love at the core of everything, 
are going to build bridges to our culture because um, this stream of tradition is about community and authentic relationship that we're hungry for. And it's about humility and empathy in a culture, in a, in a church culture that's often been triumphalistic and colonizing in the world. And um, so there's so many beautiful things. And I was about to wrap that up. And then, seriously, this verse hit me from John 15, where Jesus says, um, if the world hates me, remember, it's going to hate you. The servant is not above its master. If it persecuted me, it's going to persecute you. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Uh, if I'm going to be fair to Jesus' message, I guess I can't just offer what's going to bridge us to the culture, but what the culture is actually going to see in us that's going to upset it if we're actually following Jesus. So that, that's where this came to me. I'm curious then how the last two years have just developed that question. I'm assuming you haven't arrived at some like end game. <laughs> that's like, oh, how it is. But <laughs> no. it keeps developing. It's, oh, that's, yeah. it's, it's, it's compelling. Very much so. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the management guru, uh, Peter Drucker, once famously said that, uh, talking about business realm, of course, that the culture eats strategy for lunch. And uh, I remember ever since I've heard that, I, I've always in my mind, whenever I hear that or think that I followed up with, a, with an additional comment to myself, perhaps, but then it goes on and eats the church for lunch and, and supper. Because when you look back through the last 1,700 years of church history, near as I can tell, uh, from the fourth century when the church merged itself with the power structures, it seems that culture, the surrounding culture of the church, has shaped the church into such an accommodating stance that the church is left not really being the countercultural community of right. Jesus, but rather a co-opted subcultural expression of the culture with yes. a few Jesus elements tagged on that we call, oh, that, that's the church. Oh, yep. Paul. Yeah. Oh, it's really good. Our, our, um, so we're, um, we really appreciate the work of John Mark Comer and Mark Sayers in their podcast, uh, this cultural moment. And they say that of the church, it used to be that the, the church was the colonizing force mm -hmm. and it would colonize cultures. Um, and now, so the secular culture is colonizing the church mm -hmm. and it's exactly what you're saying, Paul, like it's created this accommodating, uh, it's accommodating force that is, shaping us into its mold if we are not allowing the radicalness of jesus to then reshape us into the form of jesus which will cause us to look like culture but not look like culture mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm curious what are the what are the ways where you would say the gospel today builds a bridge to culture and then what's an an opposite say formational way that the gospel is actually meant to shape us to be counter to culture. Sure. Uh, uh, well, as I've really pressed into this over the last few years, it strikes me that some of the very same things that function as a bridge to culture have an underside to them mm. that do the precise opposite. I'll, I'll just take one example here, and that's community. Um, <laughs> particularly, at least in, in my circles, uh, we love the idea of community. Like everyone... Who's not for a community, right? And 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 the and the, the culture is hungry for community. At least it says it is. It wants relationship and authenticity and and 
connection. And, and that is something I think that the, the, the community of Jesus offers to the world. But let's not forget that if we're really doing community as opposed to individualistically driven, occasional connecting when it works for me, then we're going to be putting at the center of, of our communities some communal values right. as opposed to individualistic values around a connection. So, for example, um, as, as a good American, I'm trained to want to lead with, look out for number one, make sure my freedom is never impinged upon, and keep, um, keep the kind of lifestyle that allows me to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of my own happiness first and foremost, right? But wait, a cultural, uh, the, the, a culture that's centered on community is going to put loyalty ahead of self. It's going to put communal values ahead of self-interest. It's going to put accountability to mm -hmm. others ahead of, hey, stay out of my business. That's between me and Jesus. And so <laughs> we want community, but we want community without the, the, the hardcore values of community mm -hmm. is what strikes me in our community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like we want community as long as it's convenient to us and as long as it doesn't cause us too much discomfort and as long yes. as it doesn't cost us too much because the moment it starts costing me something yeah i don't know that i want to be a part of that right right so right. good paul wow or, or in the polarized context so social media is polarizing us to be with people who are like us they think like us they might look yes. like us they might shop where we shop they might definitely live vote closer like to us. where we live they vote mm -hmm. like us right mm -hmm. and um, I think the radical nature of community, what I'm hearing you say, is that it requires that I be in relationship with people who are not like me, who don't vote like me, who don't look like me, who don't have my skin color, who are radically different than me. And if I'm just hanging out with people who are like me, is that really community or is that just is that really Christian community or is that just me and my pals who clump together because we're the, you know, we're the same. Right. Yeah. Okay, so if we're gonna, I'm gonna take us back to our original question, but I think there's a backstory question to be asked there because if we're gonna press into the idea of like what exclamatory part of Jesus's message would cause problems today, I think it's worthwhile spending just a smidge of time on what got him killed originally. Like, mm. so can we go to the backstory of this question before we get too far into the question itself? Right. Why that's such an important question, I think, Angela, is there's a lot of reasons Christians have gotten killed and, and killed others through church history. Most of them haven't been for Jesus-centered reasons. Uh, so, so I think it's really important. What, what, what's the barometer Jesus gives us by which we know that if we're getting persecuted or even killed, it's, it's for something Jesus might, as opposed to because we're idiots or a million other reasons. Um, <laughs> and what I, what I see in Jesus' life, and you guys have used it, I, I love this phrase, third way. Jesus seems to find a way that almost every time, and this is something, how did I, I don't know how I missed this for years, as a Bible teacher, how when Jesus gets asked a question, almost always he refuses to answer it. Instead, he, 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 he shines a light on the heart motive behind the question and then directs the, the question asker to a new question that focuses them down the path towards the kingdom. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so he gets asked questions about religious, institutional religious issues, political issues, uh, moral issues, um, legal issues. One time, two brothers ask him to settle a dispute on the family inheritance. He goes, who am I, your lawyer? It's like he refuses to get sucked into the polarizing cultural debates of the day. But but he doesn't just like leave them there. He says, wait a minute. And then he'll ask another question or he'll point out where both of your perspectives, if you look at the heart issue, are not kingdom. And I ultimately think this is what got Jesus crucified. He kept taking back people from the common cultural, common sense of first century Judaism and turning them back to this kingdom that was not of this world, though it was very much in the world, but it was not of the world. And I think um, to, to take one, one concrete example here, take nationalism, right? I mean, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. If, if there was anything that every first century Jew knew, it's that when the Messiah turns up, he's going to get a sword and get an army and march on Rome and free Israel and like set up his kingdom. Like what else would the Messiah do? And Jesus absolutely refuses to either go down the road of the zealots or to go down the route of the Sadducees, the two polar extremes in their culture on how to preserve Israel. And he instead leaves you with the, the, the feeling that although Israel is God's people, he's not concerned with the national institution of Israel. He's concerned with the kingdom of God that begins in people's hearts and permeates the entire globe, not just a little piece of real estate on the eastern seaboard of the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. He's after the globe here. It's, 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 every, it's This is all or nothing. And that, I, I submit to you, is why on the day when everyone's calling crucify him, crucify him, both the Sadducees and the Zealots and the Pharisees and everyone in between can join in the chorus because he's not playing the game. So who's who's throwing rocks at Jesus today, metaphorically? <clears throat> if you had Pharisees and Sadducees who were throwing rocks at him from both sides, what what rocks are being thrown in your estimation at mm. Jesus today? Um, from whatever, what are the sides you think yeah, in our culture, yeah. and then what rocks are they throwing at Jesus? And is it inappropriate to say if we're doing what he's doing, would we get a couple of those rocks ourselves? <laughs> right. If we wouldn't, there might be a problem there, right? Right. Um, it's a great question, John. And, uh, you know, it's easy for me or anyone else in this pers- position to answer this question to point to someone else. <laughs> Let me point to me. Uh, I'll just share a little bit of my... my so, uh, I think for the first couple hundred years of church history things were going pretty well with the church getting it right with regard to culture. They were not perfect. Read the New Testament. But but they weren't climbing into bed with the political powers that be. Oh, that didn't God. happen until the 4th century. Mm-hmm. Fast forward 1,700 years, and now, now put Paul Eddy on the stand. In the 1980s, I got really involved uh, as a evangelical, Midwestern, uh, raised in a... Uh, covenant uh, and, and, and uh, Baptist background churches are very involved with politics. And I, I kid you not, by the mid-80s, I was convinced that the way to ex- express a Jesus-like approach to my Christianity was to do what I could to get my, my, my culture uh, back to the Christian nation status it was 
I've been told that all my life. And the best way to do it was to get involved with politics. And so I did. I was campaigning for, for folks. And, and I don't know how it missed me that when Jesus had the opportunity to do something like that, he absolutely refused. Instead saying, no, 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 we've got to keep the kingdom holy, meaning set apart from being co-opted by any political power or position or policy uh, base. And I, I just didn't see that. It actually took the Radical Reformation to come to me to, to see that. Um, and so I guess I would say, John, that what I, what I see happening for a lot of Christians on both, quote unquote, the political left and right, at least in my country today, is a feeling that, well, if you're really a Jesus person, that either the, that platform or that platform is what Jesus would get behind and run through in, in his legislature, yeah. as opposed to actually carving out a countercultural community that calls both political perspectives to task on what it means to be the kingdom in this culture. doesn't mean that everything is right or wrong on either side, but it means that that the kingdom has to thread the needle on what the through line is here. Mm-hmm. The meta narrative of scripture, not the meta narrative of America. Um, I mean, I could go on for a while here, but, but that's some of the things that come to my mind. Really? Am I being too harsh here? Am I? No, no, no. no wow. No, no dial, di- keep dialing it up. I would say <laughs> for, for this combo, like make us think and make us, make us kind of dig into this a little bit, you know, when you were describing um, what got Jesus killed, what do you believe got get Jesus killed originally? It was like, you can't miss in the way that you told that story that the, the local powers that be fully understood that Jesus was setting up a different kingdom. That's why he was a threat. And I, I just, I mean, fast forward to our time, I'm, I'm literally stunned into silence just thinking about the lack of stones that are thrown at me um, and the lack of clarity that we in general have about Jesus's kingdom. Like just mm-hmm. even defining Jesus's kingdom, let alone figuring out how to engage with it, how to build it, how to live it out in my, you know, Tuesday life. It's, uh, yeah, I, no, you're not being too harsh. You're making it clear enough that it's convicting. <laughs> That's what's happening. <laughs> and and you talk, Paul, about subcultures. You you say counterculture. You you kind of distinguish between counterculture yeah. and say overly identifying with a subculture, which I think is a really important point. Can you can yeah. you unpack that for us a bit? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm drawing here on some sociologists like Keith Roberts and others who who pointed out that. Um, that any, any, any culture, any macro culture has an, a, a, a wide variety of micro cultures within it. Um, little distinctive subcultures. A really helpful category to me is the difference between subculture and counterculture. What, what Roberts and others say a subculture is, is they have a distinctive um, sense to them. You, you can see a sub, often their main example is an ethnic subculture. Um, they'll have distinctive features and aspects and customs. But if they're functioning subculturally, they tend to tap into the, the, the common sense at the level of worldview, values, uh, ethics of the host culture. They want to, they want to fit in. They, they don't want to be shunned. Or, and that, so that's a subculture. It's distinctive, but it's not really different. It, it, it still assumes the same cultural common sense as the host culture. A counterculture, on the other hand, actually is grounded in a, an alternative 
worldview, a different meta-narrative of how life works, and a completely distinctive set of ethics and values. I think that's what Jesus called the church to, to be counter-cultural in whatever culture it's in, not simply to fit in as a sort of Jesus expression of the, the wider host culture. So that you, the only real difference you can tell is, well, those people, they go to this one building on Sunday for an hour or, or something to that effect. It's, no, they, they're strange. <laughs> We're supposed to be seen as like aliens and strangers, right? Exiles from another country that happen to be living here. Um, I love something Bruxy said once when he was preaching at our church, Woodland, that has never left me. He said, what if we actually believe the Apostle Paul wasn't kidding when he said that we are ambassadors of the kingdom? And he said, no, seriously, like, what if we lived in, in whatever cult country we happen to live in, the way, say, the French ambassador lives when he comes to America? He never confuses himself with being an American. He's there on the interests of France. And that has so convicted me. Um, I've tried to become a French ambassador-like person for the kingdom in America. Boy, I got a long way to go. But that idea of ambassadorship, I think, clarifies things so seriously. I love that because the faith tradition that I was raised in um, was very into counterculture. But what or what they how that expressed itself was um, very conservative clothing, no makeup. Um, Lots of uh, rules and restrictions and behavior modification. So their expression of it. But, but when you think of it from a, so technically they can claim that they were, because of their love for Jesus, countercultural, but they had lost entire relevance to the culture yes. of the day. So this idea of ambassadorship walks that line beautifully of like, yes. you are different, but you have to remain relevant in the things um, so I love because I man, I do not resonate with the preaching style that is preaching against culture and condemning it with this moral superiority or with this sense of judgment. Um, this so this call to counterculture has that temptation in it. But when you when you talk about ambassadorship, that's utterly different. You cannot be an ambassador to another culture and stand in judgment of it all day long, every day, you have no influence or relevance when negotiation yes. time comes, which yes. is your whole job. So yes. yeah, I'm loving that. Well, so, and, and just to borrow from Roberts, uh, he offers a third micro uh, cultural uh, type contra culture, which he distinguishes from counter culture. And he says, contra culture is just a group that gets upset with the culture and just is against it. <laughs> and I think we can also become counterculture. Yeah, of course. That's uh, easy. Counterculture is the toughest one to be. It's it's in service to the culture while remaining distinct from the culture. And I think counterculture is what's happening uh, in polarization. The so the woke uh, progressive, you know, left is counterculture to the you know hyper responsible. Yes. Uh, conservative, draw the circle around me and my family, no, no mask wearing stereotype, forgive me. Right. These, con these, these subcultures are contraculture of each other. Yes. And I'd be curious and, you know, Reese or Paul, uh, if we're in your mind, if we're following Jesus, uh, what, what, what should we be doing that you think is uh, pressing against or maybe threatening 
um, by our actions, these two cultures, these are very real stereotypes of what's happening in the polarization of our moment in, at least in the North American context. So if we're going to follow Jesus, what heat are we going to get from the, the left and what heat are we going to get from the right? If we're really doing this. Mm-hmm. That, that, that was, that was for you guys. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> we're praying about it right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Cause, it, cause this it has to mean, this question. has to mean something and you're not trying to tell yeah. us what to do. Yeah. You're just saying yeah. from your experience, this, yeah. this is what happens when these are the rocks that get thrown. When you, when you li- live this counter, this radical Jesus message that got him killed, it's going to get us, <laughs> you know, it's going to get some rocks thrown at us from, right. from a subculture. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I just, I immediately think about, um, you know, this idea that we are, all right in our own eyes, right? We, we think we think we have it figured out. We think yeah. both both sides, if you will, John, both sides claim to know and love and follow Jesus. Yeah. And so who is the other side to say that side is wrong? You don't follow, you don't love, you don't obey Jesus the way that I do. Um, so I think, I think, we all just need to pause <laughs> and take a step back and 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 re reorient ourselves uh, towards this posture of humility. Mm-hmm. This posture of humility, and the thing that comes to mind is, you know, I I shared this story before, but um, our our daughters are almost fifteen and almost thirteen, and um, when we first brought our our youngest daughter home, um. That was a little threatening to big sister and um, she didn't quite understand what this thing was. Why is this thing, a.k.a. my sister, why is why is this baby lying on the same bed that I used to be able to lay on? Why is this same baby now taking up the, 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 the time and the attention and the energy of my parents who once had was where they were only giving it to me? Um, and I, I remember having our youngest on the bed. And um, I, I told big sister, hey, you know, keep an eye on her. Um, came back seconds later and she literally had like a blanket over her face. And I'm like, okay. no, 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 I told you to keep an eye on her, not keep a blanket on her. <laughs> right. And so she, I, I had in that moment, I had to I had to remind her that you share the same DNA. You are sisters you come from the same or you like, we, we love you both the same. We, we, we're going to care for the both of you the same. Do not harm your baby sister. Even if you think that you have rights to this bed and you have rights to mommy and daddy's energy and, and, and attention and time and care. Even if you think you know what you're doing and you think that you're right. This is your sister. We are in this together. We even have the saying for in our family, Team Sky. Like we are a team. We're in this together. Um, and so I think that with the humility, going back to, to, to your question, John, with this idea of reorienting, reorienting ourselves around humility, that humility helps us to recapture the idea that we are family. If we claim to love and follow and, and obey Jesus, 
We are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And you may, Angela, think very differently about the world. And, and you, John, may think very differently about. But at the end of the day, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that alone should help strip away this combativeness, this aggression, this passive aggression. Like it should strip away from that so that we can get back to to, to loving one another and to hearing one another and to being there for one another. Again, go, just get back to humility, getting back to humility. So can I push in just one layer further on that? So let's say we do, let's say we embrace this family concept and we begin to pull into our inclusion net, um, everybody, what rock gets thrown at that? Why do we fear that so badly? Right. Why is that controversial? That seems like such a, like, why do we all do that? What rock gets thrown at that? Yeah. But we, we all, um, we all need to win at something, right? We need to, we all need a trophy. We all need to win. There is this spirit of competition and no longer the spirit of collaboration or community. Like we need to win something. There's a contest for everything, for singing, for football, for, I mean, they're, like, we need to win something, right? It's a contest and blue. a reality TV show. Right, for, right, right. For all of those, yes. It, exactly. Yeah. Like, many of us will be glued to the television on Sunday, next Sunday, watching get out. big men with big pads. They're trying to win something. And so this idea of humility, re- remembering that we are family, coming together, community, it goes against our need to win. We need to win at all costs. And that that's what we need to do. And so to pull us back, to pull us back to family, community. Okay. So yeah. that's an internal threat to us following Jesus's revolutionary third way. But I, I, I find it hard to believe, like we're talking about what got Jesus killed and what might mm-hmm. get Jesus killed today. Is there something in this family community concept? I mean, when we talked about nationalism, I can see how Jesus's message of third way, like I have a different kingdom, I have different everything. Don't buy into this. Come over here and call into account. I can see how that gets feisty and rocks get thrown at that. And the rocks that get thrown at that um, are sometimes naivete. Like you're just being naive. Sometimes it's being, you're being drawn to like, I can see the that. The world doesn't work that way, Jesus. We know this. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Do you think this family concept or the community concept that Paul was talking about earlier, do you think that that's somewhere, some of the rocks that get thrown at that, are you being a heretic for being too inclusive? Like, what are some of the external rocks that cause us to shy away from these? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or do we need to bring other examples into the space to make it <laughs> clearer connection to what is an actual threat to the kingdoms of this world if we right. follow Jesus? Right, right, yeah. Anything, Gracie? No, go, go ahead, Paul. Okay, well, I'm just thinking, so, what you, sh- you shone, a sh- shone a light for us on this kind of the self-centeredness, this, this lack of humility, right, is, is so much is driving us. I think, you know, for me, uh, I've always, after reading Jesus, it's hard not to sort of define sin as simply self-centeredness, <laughs> not the other-oriented love of agape towards God and others. And so I think you're touching, Risi, on something that's so central to this, is self-centeredness, that sense of uh, my perspective, but not just my perspective, our perspective, right? So we become a big me, 
we, we find these groups either in churches or in politics or whatever that that sound and look and talk and think and re- reason like like I do and that's that's now me writ large okay and uh, let me let me take I'll use a yes for a concrete example Angela I'll try to try to give another one in here my current area of, of research and writing is on sexuality and I see this happening in the church on this topic I think uh, uh, as much as in any other area that gets politically co-opted today. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to seriously look at the research that's being done that suggests how one breaks on sexuality in our culture, whether it's more conservative or more progressive. A lot of that has to do not just with one's upbringing, not just with one's church denomination, but right to the heart of the individual according to one's personality wiring, personality type. Um, the big five, are a lot of research on the big five about how certain conglomerations of that tend to be conservative and others tend to be progressive. And it's like, if the body of Christ is to be the unifying presence of God in the world that brings the diversity of humanity into the unification of, back to Reese's idea, humble relational community, then if I'm wired for a more conservative approach to things, I should know that that is, has some beauty and limitations mm-hmm. and be able to say, where's the need for my brothers and sisters wired differently to speak into my life and I into theirs. And I do not see that happening in this conversation on sexuality. I see conservatives doubling down on a cultural sexual conservatism that frankly has very little to do with Jesus's actual vision of sexuality most of the time, but sort of Western culture. And I see a lot of progressive liberal folks going, that's oppressive, but I don't see a lot of them running to Jesus either. They're running to John Stuart Mill and political democracy and the, hey, as long as everyone consents and no one gets hurt, let's go for it. Jesus would be cool. And it's like, neither of those sound like Jesus when he challenges both of those things in scripture when it comes to sexuality. So, so say more on that, Paul. So no. how does, <laughs> I'm trying to get the rock thrown at you. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> how, I'll let Reese fill in the details on this. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Right. How does Jesus, uh, so if Jesus were here preaching his, his love ethic around sexuality in your, in your opinion, <clears throat> what rocks would get thrown at him? from the right and what rocks would get thrown from the left well let's 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 take a concrete example there's several we could use but i think one of the easiest ones is uh john eight a woman caught in adultery quote unquote um begs the question where the guy was Mm. (laughs) of course (laughs) only one half of this this uh yes but but you've you've got the quote-unquote cultural conservatives the pharisees uh saying come on jesus uh what does the law say Jesus knows what the law says. And so what's interesting is Jesus doesn't undercut the law there. What Jesus says is, okay, fine. Yeah, let's do this law thing, guys. Um, Whoever is innocent, whoever has not broken the law, lets you throw the first stone. Then we'll really go for it. But, But let's let an innocent person toss that first stone. And he reframes, you know, I think back to James. Mercy triumphs over judgment, right? He brings mercy into a situation where, this, where all the culture is arrayed against this woman right now. And yet, when he speaks to her alone, after the crowd's dispersed, 
He doesn't pull the, hey, it was consensual, right? No one got hurt. He takes her back to now a covenantal principle about sexuality. It's about covenant and says, hey, let, let's, you know, let's steer clear of non-covenantal sex from this point. But he doesn't do it in a shameful way. It, it upholds her dignity. He defends her. And then he redirects her in a kingdom path that, interestingly, that wasn't what the Pharisees were after. This is a unique third way Jesus moment that's going to call on to account both the conservatives and the liberals in his culture. And again, he does this so often they finally they both agree on one thing. We got to get rid of this guy. All right. We've got five minutes before we head into our Q&A. And um, I would like to encourage the chat space to start poking in. So you can either ask for things like say more like that, like John just did, bring up new, like push us on some of these um, where the rubber meets the roads application parts. But I would like to take uh, this opportunity to pull Reese out and say, Reese, talk to us about how this looks like in our local communities. Like take this to our day-to-day life where the rubber meets the road. And I think this might spark plenty of Q&A. Um, the, talk to us about where Jesus's message defies, maybe even betrays this common sense culture. I love that phrase that Paul used earlier bring it home to us, like in our local communities, what does this look like? Yeah, I think it's important for us to um, just very honestly and transparently um, just assess like what those values and like, what is the common sense of our culture today? Like, let's just be really honest about what it is, Um, whether it's hyper individualism or money, uh, the love of money, greed, although we would probably never admit that. Uh, Nobody ever admits I'm greedy. I woke up today and I'm greedy, you know, Um, but power, uh, control, fame, comfort, all these things. So we need to be honest and we need to assess what those uh, what what the cultural values are today that we are we're combating these every day. Um, But once we assess what the cultural values are today, um, then now how do we address, how do we address these? Um, Like, how do we, I mean, it obviously conflicts with what Jesus stood for and the third way that he presented, but what does that mean for us? So does it, does it mean like, does it mean for us um, like fighting hyper-individualism and reclaiming this idea of family and community in, in every healthy sense of the way of the words? Um, Does it look like, um, considering others above ourselves. What a concept. Oh my goodness. I I'm wearing a mask because I want to consider you above myself. I don't have any underlying conditions. I feel healthy. I feel fine, but you may be at risk. And so if I'm in your presence in this still pandemic, hello, I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to consider others above myself. Um, it looks like being willing to, to, to lose our life for the sake of finding it finding it for Jesus sake. And that's, that's not comfortable. That's not comfortable. I want to hold on to, to, I want to hold on to. You're giving up autonomy, which is the idol. One of the premier idols of our time, right? That we are, we, we have individual autonomy, right? How dare you tell me? Yes. Agency. How dare, yes. How dare you threaten my sense of freedom? Um, absolutely. So we, we, we need to do that. Uh, another thing that I think, um, Angela, is really I- important, is especially I mean, I can just I'm thinking specifically of, of my context. Um, 
with this idea of, of, of fame and um, getting all the likes and all the followers and all the hearts and all the right. This idea, what if, what if we, what if, what if we like John the Baptist in John uh, chapter one, um, sure, he's got disciples, he's got followers, but as soon as Jesus steps on the scenes, he says what? Behold, the Lamb of God. Like, there he is. Okay, don't focus on me. Let's put our eyes on Jesus. He's the one. He's the one. And so what if we were willing to do that? What if we were willing to, in every, every with every post, with every phone call, with every email, with every conversation, what if we were able to, you know what? Don't focus on me. Don't put my name on the flyer. I don't even care if you spell it, spell my name right. Don't focus on me. Behold, behold, there's Jesus. There's the Lamb of God. And so I'm thinking there's a lot that comes to mind, um, Angela. But and then I think, you know, at some point we need to um, after we assess what's really going on and being just very honest about that and then addressing. I think at some point there there does need to be um, a public and communal sense of confession and lament and repentance. A whole lot of harm has been done. I'm not even going to talk about, I'm not, I'm not pulling in any political, uh, you know, political details. I'm not going to go there because I, you know, I want to sleep tonight. I don't want nobody threatening me via text or, you know, inboxing my social media. Throwing stones. Yeah. Yeah, Stones today travel digitally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but there does, there need, there needs to be a public and communal, confession and lament and repentance um, so that we can serve one another better so that we can just be very honest about, again, the harm that's been done um, towards one another, racially, politically, um, culturally, in terms of education, in terms of finances, gender. I mean, Paul, you brought up the the great story of of this woman in John eight. I mean, you know, there, there's some, there's still some things happening um, today that we just need to be very honest with and just say, you know what, Jesus Jesus would not be leading us in this way. We're leading ourselves in this way, but it's not, it's not okay. It's not okay. So anyway, I, I could go on um, Angela, but. but So Reese, what do you say to the person? So you're calling us to communal repentance. Like it's an act of admitting that there's been harm. Right. You think that Jesus, if he were here today, he would be doing this. He would be admitting that there's been harm. Um, okay. But let's say I'm somebody who is not ideologically predisposed to understand and appreciate communal repentance. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I didn't like, I don't come from slaves, slaveholders, slave owners. Right. Right. I'm just a suburban person in a church trying to love Jesus, trying to work a job. You're Mm -hmm. calling me to repent Mm -hmm. for something Mm -hmm. that honest to God, me and my family didn't do, and we're trying to purge ourselves of mm-hmm. any racism that we know of in our lives. Mm-hmm. Why do we need to do this communal repentance thing? Mm-hmm. So good, John. So I would ask you, John, are there are there resources that you have access to today? Are is there an education that you have access to today? Um, is there money? that you have access to today that you necessarily did not work for, but because of, because of who you are, because of your name, because of uh, your gender, because of your race, you've, you've inherited these things. Right. And so, so with, with that privilege, with that privilege, with that, that power, um, you may not have personally 
been involved in, in what you just spoke of. You may not have personally been involved in it, but you are a direct recipient of the benefits of what happened. And so you just need to be honest about that. Even if you don't understand all the nuances, even if you don't understand, you know, that you are, you have uh, received benefits because of that. And so you need to just, you know, man, I don't understand all the details, but let me look into it. Let me, let me see, let me see what my role actually can be. Um, so that, that's what, that's what I would say to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm. Okay, could we press? Can we talk about power for just a second? It was one of the lists, it was on your list of things. Mm-hmm. And you've hinted at it a couple of times since then. But going back to this common sense culture versus what Jesus calls us to, let, can we just talk about the nuance of power? Mm. How would Jesus have uh, either exam- both examples out of how he engaged with power in his day and age versus what that might look like now? How are we? common sense engaging with power in a way that is not how Jesus would be doing it. And this is for either of you. I don't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. help me Rhonda. Yeah, help me. <laughs> Where's Rhonda? Uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll just say, and then I'd love to hear, hear your, your thoughts, Paul. I, I would say that the way that we are displaying and operating in our power today is very oppressive it leads to uh, greater marginalization of communities that are already on the fringes. Um, it leads to injustice on multiple levels, and um, it's. I'll I'll just I'll just say it like a, like I heard one of our teenagers at church say it. It's pretty gross. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty gross the way that certain communities um, are experiencing the oppressive power. Of, of other individuals who have, who are on top and who've always been on top and who are going to storm a Capitol building to make sure they remain on top. Okay. So the way that we are enacting power today is very oppressive. It does, it does not lift anyone up out of their mess, but instead it, it puts a foot on their head and makes them buried under the mess. And it's, it's gross. As the 14 year old said, it's gross. <laughs> So that that's what I would say to that, Angela. But I'd love to hear Paul's right answer. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Anything I would say to the, beyond that is simply a footnote. As I say, Amen to that. Um, I noticed Bud put something into the chat a bit ago that I think is right on. Uh, let me quote Bud here. Um, it's a unique kingdom principle that when authority is given away, it actually increases. And I think we can use uh, a substitute the word power there. Um, Around Woodland Hills, largely because uh, Greg Boyd has really shaped our thinking on this question. Uh, Greg's language uh, that's that's really uh, influenced us is the difference between power over and power under. Uh, I, I think a lot of people here, when they hear, hey, be careful with power, they, they, they think, oh, just, just don't do anything. Like, be passive. No, no, no. Um, power, Jesus had all the powers. As Bud pointed out, he had all mm-hmm. the authority. It's just that the way Jesus positioned himself with regard to power was so countercultural. He used it not for himself, right, but for others, and not just for any others, sort of, sort of uh, in an indiscriminate way, but but rather looking for the least powerful mm-hmm. and and underwriting their uh, their dignity and value and worth as as image bearers of God with 
his power by coming in a power underway. And frankly, he even did that with, with those who were, were quote unquote, culturally on top. He came with power under, certainly firmly, but always with an other-oriented love to challenge the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. He just used power in a way, in fact, the only way that I can see where power can actually transform hearts mm. rather than oppressively dominate and subjugate somebody right. to that's behaving good. in a certain way. Right. And that's the, that, to me, that's the difference of kingdom power. Right. And, and so what would... Um, what would you say today Jesus would be critiquing in how the left and the right are using and see power? Hmm. You know, so much of this goes back to me for what Risi opened with of humility, uh, which which then challenges self-centeredness and other orientedness, right? That, that, that fundamental divide of the kingdom. Um, I think Jesus would challenge on both the right and the left at least two things, and I'd love to hear what Risi would, would think about this and maybe add others, but I think two things would be, one, that both quote-unquote political sides in my country seem to have, see the other as the demonic problem yep. Yep. themselves yes. and their ideology as the solution. Yep, 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 preach. Right. I don't know how to not bring spiritual warfare into this yep. at Do this it. point. I believe in the principalities and powers, and I don't think that's yes. psychology or mythology. Yes. I think the demonic structures of this world mm-hmm. live to pit us against each other. Yes. To divide the, what should be the body of Jesus, uh, and in the process, cause us to forget there's an actual spiritual battle of, mm-hmm. of structural evil and systemic uh, dominating powers that are playing us against each other the entire time, like puppets. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. so I think that's what Jesus would do is he'd, he'd point to the true enemy mm-hmm. that we're not each other's enemies mm-hmm. that we are to love and serve, maybe even bleed and die for each other who thinks differently. And in that process, maybe transform hearts and minds to a, a third way kingdom approach. That's so good, Paul. Yeah. We wrestle not against flesh yes. and blood. Yes. That's so, so, so good, Paul. Yeah. So good. Great. Well, we're going to transition to a little bit of uh, Q and a time. And um, I'll ask this. I get to go first. Uh, we flipped for it, so I get to go first. Um, so as you guys think about uh, this, this idea, sticking with this theme of like having something to say, but um, holding it in a way that's so different, like holding that power, those power cards in a way that's so different than what our, how our culture does. Uh, earlier in the chat, Peter, I thought, asked a great question, Peter Morgan, Uh, He said, how do we stand for something being ambassadors of the kingdom, as Paul speaks of, while avoiding the natural inclination to become self-righteous, or in other words, how to be humble and curious without becoming nebulous? So one of the critiques of this third way move is that it's both speak. It's like it actually doesn't say anything because we're like walking through the middle of both and we're not actually challenging anybody we're just kind of like making sure we say the things that both sides can agree with and we don't actually make people mad because we're not actually having a clear centered set so i'd love i'd love to to have you speak to that um how do we be humble and curious without becoming nebulous Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let me pull up that question that's a great question i want to make sure i get get that right 
Yep. In the chat, it's at 3.44 p.m. Peter Morgan. Yep. Thanks for that question, Peter. I'll just throw a quick yeah. comment out. I think it's really important. You know, the language of the third way, I continue to find helpful. But I know there's a lot of critics of it. And one of the criticisms is precisely this, that the third way, well, one criticism is there is no third way. Uh, third way just means you're the other side masquerading as something you're not. That's one crit criticism. But there's another criticism that says, no, there's a third way, but all that is is this sort of uh, pablum middle way trying to keep everybody happy. Um, you, uh, yep. uh, so can't it. we all just yep. be friends here? Yes. Right? I think right. this is what this question is pointing yep. at. That's right. right. And I guess my first response would be, well, if that's what it was, then Jesus wouldn't have got crucified. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He would have everybody his friend instead of everybody saying, let's get rid of the guy. So it can't be that. Whatever else it is, it's not a nebulous third way. I think it has to be an other kind of way that points to another kind of kingdom. And my fear in saying that, and I noticed in one of the questions even, this came up, well, that just might mean a spiritual sort of thing that doesn't really intersect with the realities of our, of our world. Well, hey, that if we are in a context where we think spiritual means not having to do with this world, then we've bought into the centuries-old dualism, yes. right? That heads right back to Gnosticism of, well, spiritual's up there, and then there's down here. Man, Jesus brought the two worlds together in a way that confronted this world with his world. It's, it's not a dichotomy. Um, it's just that I think some people think if you don't use the tactics of this world, you're not being really involved with this world. That's what I think the third way calls into question. What, 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 if you lead with love, it seems like, well, what's going to get done? Well, I don't know, but Jesus got more done than anybody, and that's what he did. It's just that it didn't, it looked like he failed at the end of it all. Like, seriously, the guy's hanging on a cross. Yeah. Um, it, it looks different. It looks silly. It looks stupid. But it's the power of God. It's that power under. Can you say that again? It, if you don't use the tactics of this world, I thought that was like a mic drop, but I <laughs> didn't catch it. <laughs> I, 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 this goes back to one of the main challenges, I think, of the Radical Reformation. Well, they weren't political. They just opted out of politics. Yeah. Well, eventually, I think they did down in history, but not early on, not the early folks. They were super political but they refused to use the strategies and tactics of the politics of this world. And so because it was so confusing, they were discounted as they're not political. Jesus wasn't political in the way Herod was or the way Caesar was, but my goodness, he set up a brand new kingdom in the span of a few years that reverberates to this day. That's political. It's just that it's politics of a different type with a different power, with a different heart, with a different strategy than anything we've ever seen before. I don't want to call that not politics. Mm -hmm. I want to call that kingdom politics. Mm -hmm. So actually, Tom, a little while ago, put in the chat a question about, as a pastor uh, in a true blend of red and blue in his congregation, how do we talk about this? How do we pull both sides towards? So can same thing you're saying right there, but can we just get like right into the nitty gritty 
super practical. What is, what would Jesus <laughs> be right now on this, on this political topic? Like, I mean, the thing that they unified around was that they both were uncomfortable with what his messaging was. <laughs> so, uh, I, well, you're right. It's love. Like you've already said that. Yes, you're right. Mm -hmm. But this Sunday, you know, a month ago, right now, in right now, what is the messaging that that makes both shame, but calls? Like, so Tom's mm -hmm. direct question is, how do I address the contrarian views pointing to Jesus without getting stoned to death myself? Like, <laughs> that seems fair. That seems fair. And and maybe the answer to this question is, we we follow in a long line of martyrs before us. <laughs> So, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it's that without getting stoned qualifier at the end that I, I don't know how to give you that answer. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, in 2004, which was the year God brought the Radical Reformation to our church, that led election cycle in 2004, mm. that's when this landed on our leadership team and Greg preached a series of six sermons on this. And quite honestly, within nine months, we lost a thousand people. Mm -hmm. um, now, Greg didn't get stoned. <laughs> He's still breathing, but mm -hmm. it gutted our church. Yeah. Uh, but if you asked any one of us, any pastor, would we ever go back and undo that? Absolutely not. No. That was mm -hmm. the decisive turning point for us Absolutely. of actually, we believe, getting clear on Jesus's kingdom message. Mm -hmm. But but boy, it upset lots of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would I would just add, um, I'm <laughs> We, we may not have lost a thousand people, Paul, but, uh, you know, we've got angry people knocking on our doors and, um, you know, you know, challenging us via social media. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say this, Angela, if we if we pause longing long enough to reflect on our own transformation story. Mm. OK, let's just let's just bring it back personally. What was our Damascus Road experience? Like, can we just, can we stop acting like we've got it all together? Like we are, you know, the, the, the top student in the class of Jesus. Like, we're, you know what I mean? Like, let's just remember our own transformation story. Remember the muck and the mire that Jesus, Jesus delivered us from. Remember, remember the, the, the addiction and the issues and the, the self-righteousness. Like, let's remember what he saved us from. Okay. And now can I look at remembering my own transformation story? Am I willing to hear yours, Paul? Am I willing to hear yours, Angela? Am I willing to, to find some sort of, of common ground? Um, we all have our own transformation story and that needs to keep us humble. Again, I, I keep, I, I'm thinking of just this low thinking that this, this idea of humility, it needs to, we need to humble ourselves Remember our transformation stories. Um, the other thing I would say is, um, again, you know, we, we think we're right in our own eyes. I think we need to hold up a mirror and be, be very honest and evaluate the really good things that we're doing and the really good things that our community stands for and the, 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 um, the morals and the ethics that we uphold. Oh, those are really great. And like you said, Paul, but there's some really ugly stuff too. Are we willing to do both? Are we willing to, are we willing to, you know, I listen, I love, love, love my family. I love my family, beautiful family. And we have issues. 
There's some dysfunction, right? Am I willing to do both to celebrate the good, embrace the good, um, to share the good with everybody and then say, you know what? But this addiction that you're struggling with, daddy, yeah, you, you need to get it together. You need to get it together. The, the you know, like we, we got to do both. We have to do both. I think we're not doing both these days. We're only, I'm so amazing. I've got all the right answers. Praise the Lord. He's on my side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're not yep. doing the other piece. Like there's Amen. some ugly stuff in our hearts and we just yep. need to be honest about it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you have a- both given us a clear call to humility. I mean, throughout this. And then you can't miss the string of, um, it's also a call to courage that uh, the reason we're asking this question is because the leader that we follow was martyred. So this is, um, I do find our my default, and I'm not alone in this, but my default is to comfort. Like I must be doing something wrong if this isn't going well, if I'm being critiqued like that. And I forget about spiritual warfare often. But that I also have great respect and fear of the established church that has its own whatevers. So, yeah, I you have given us a clear call to both humility and to courage as we pursue Jesus's third way that God killed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can I can I share can I share just this this one this last story? Um, our our church we. We drafted a written and formal statement um, around the the issues surrounding the George Floyd murder, um, the Rihanna Taylor murder, um, immigration. I mean, like just just a bunch of different things. And then the latest statement that was written um, was just based on the events that happened on January 6th um, with the insurrection at our state at our capital. We, we drafted this this statement and we put it out there and. We have received, we have received so much backlash and so many stones, if you will, John. Mm. We even had the, I'm going to be careful, so I don't want to expose this person's identity, but we had um, the director of a large organization here in our city go to the house of one of our, our, our lead, uh, lead staff and basically told our lead staff, um, we're monitoring your church. Whoa. We don't know who you guys think you are. We don't know what you think you're doing, but we're monitoring you all. And as if they're going to turn us into the church police, I don't know. But we're monitoring you all. And we're not going to we're not going to allow our people to um, be a part of you all anymore if you keep putting out these sorts of statements. And our response was, well, number one, why are you coming to my house in, in a pandemic? You need to be at your own house. Put on your mask. Um, anyway, number two, um, number two, if we don't speak out about what's happening, then we are just as guilty as what's happening. Like we, we've got yeah. our conviction is that the church is postured to speak into what's happening in the world right now. And if we miss this opportunity to let our neighbors, to let our community, to let our church members know where we stand, then shame on us. Like we are drawing a line in the sand and we're saying what happened was not okay. We believe that it grieved God's heart. There was, God was not in that. He did not say, go do it. Yes, yes, you're being persecuted. Go do No, so we made a stance and we're, we're receiving so much backlash for it. And we're saying, thank you, Jesus, for the backlash. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for the rocks that are being thrown our way. Well, there's our mic drop. Thank you, Jesus, for the backlash. 
Yeah. 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 Thank so. you, Reese, for sharing that, for putting that in there and for your courage and leading the way in this. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So we need to transition to our um, breakout rooms for our live audience. Before we do that, a huge thank you to Paul mm-hmm. and Reese. We know thank you so much going on in your private lives and you carving out the time to be here for this conversation just means the world to us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's great. Great yeah. being with you all. Thanks so much. So for our uh, listening audience, the live audience now moves over into breakout rooms where we discuss where the rubber meets the road for us. It's so fun. We would encourage you at any time to join us for the, when you can for live. Um, before we sign off with you listening audience, we just want to give a little plug for the events section of Jesus Collective's website. There are so many cool things that are coming up, not the least of which is a Jesus-centered preaching workshop event. So JesusCollective.com, that is your place to go. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out JesusCollective.com where you can hear stories, find info about upcoming events and workshops, maybe even explore getting involved through partnership as a church or an individual leader. Listening is such an important part of our journey as an organization. So please feel free to reach out to us with your ideas and your feedback. Drop us a message on social media or you can email us at connect at JesusCollective.com. Here's to keeping Jesus at the center.